Bob's in a pod. Bob's in a pod. Hey everyone, Peter Pop here, and Nadir Pop here. Nadir, we're back talking about a subject which I think comes a close second favorite of ours on the podcast. Well, the favorite is no doubt finance, but the topic that we're discussing on this episode is actually education. Yeah, I think education is such a ever evolving space, right? For us as well and our kids, we are constantly finding ways to. sort of figure out what's really happening in education especially in india yeah true and especially considering that you know our kids are just kind of tip their toes in the education system in india i think easily for the next 15 years we're not going to be <laughs> stop talking about education well actually why 15 20 hopefully they do university at least right or college Yeah and I think by then uh, getting a masters is as good as getting graduation for us so they'll probably be looking at specialization and super specialization and god knows what else Yeah yeah true but let's just tell you quickly about our guest uh we're really glad to have Amrita Patwardhan who's the head of the education portfolio at Tata Trust now she's been with Tata Trust since 2003 and has been really influential in working on various impactful initiatives across the education sector in the remotest parts of the country and apart from education we also spoke to her about the sixth big little book awards and we'll hear more from her in the episode so peter let's jump straight in hi amrita welcome to pops in a pod hi peter hi nadir very happy to join Thanks so much for joining us today. I mean, it's really great uh, to talk to someone like you, and especially on a topic that both Nadir and I are very passionate about—something which is close to our heart, which is education. Now, before we get into that, because there's so much to talk to you about, especially when it comes to education, I want to talk to you about a initiative that you know, the Parag Initiative, which Tata Trust has recently done. which was the 6th edition of the big little book awards uh tell us a bit about the awards and its purpose uh, so parag initiative of the tata trust is really an effort to promote reading for joy uh, you know among children and also in order to get there you also need to engage with all key other stakeholders like parents and teachers so in the process where we do a large number of things from setting up libraries to helping uh, curate and create good quality uh, children's literature etc we realize that this is a very under recognized kind of a sector so if you look at uh, large literature festivals which is happen plenty now in our country as well uh, we don't really uh, celebrate children's authors in the same way in which we uh, you know recognize and celebrate uh, writers for uh, adults so that's where we felt that there is a gap and as a part of the initiative we must do something about it because it's really the habit of reading in a way gets ignited if it does get set in childhood i think we know that what kind of a difference it can make and in a way despite relatively limited recognition relatively limited commercial kind of gains there are several authors illustrators who have made very very significant contribution to children's literature in india in a way despite all odds 
and hence we felt that an award that can really celebrate uh, significant contributions in this space uh, would be uh, really welcome and it will really sort of and our effort to kind of both celebrate as well as enthuse uh, young writers so what we basically do through this big little book award is that there is one author award and there is one language decided for each year and that changes uh, and the illustrator award is a pan india across languages award because we felt it's equally important along with writers also to look at illustrators because in case of children's literature especially the picture books which is the first genre that children uh, are attracted to illustrations are as or if not more important than the story sometimes uh, as the initial touch point so that's really our effort to uh, in a way celebrate uh, the am amazing work that the author illustrators in the country have done no it's it's amazing what what uh, what you all are doing amrita because i think from from a sheer uh, india perspective and, and i've read a couple of reports also that india as a country um, has this unique distinction where reading is is considered as an important uh, aspect of of growing up uh, irrespective of you know where you come from uh, but of course i mean with with kids uh, there are there are struggle i i i will though come back to you but since you brought up the whole language aspect this year your awards is focused on on uh, malayalam and uh, there are there are two aspects one is um, is this going to be a recurring theme every single year where you choose a specific language for that year and secondly what are the unique aspects and unique features that you um, see that uh, you know the, every language has to bring in terms of storytelling in terms of you know some usp so this year if it's if if it's malayalam what is it that you have noticed yeah so definitely for the award uh, we decided after a lot of deliberation that given the language linguistic diversity that our country has and also the journey uh, also the extent of richness of children's literature in different indian languages varies so we felt that we it's not really right for us to uh, compare uh, authors um, across different languages because each language in a way in its evolution is at a certain unique stage so uh, and since we did not want to stick to only uh, say hindi english uh, and we wanted to look at all regional languages then we decided that it makes sense for us to uh, pick one language each year and then look at it holistically and then move on to a different language uh, in the subsequent year so we so far have looked at uh, marathi bangla kannad uh, english uh, hindi uh, those were the first five languages and the sixth uh, years language was malayalam so yes definitely each language is unique um, i think some of the languages definitely that we have chosen so far are where we did find greater engagement uh, in terms of authors in writing for children having said that in case of malayalam uh, we have received a very large number of nominations so we got almost 490 nominations which is i think much higher as compared to the nominations we have received uh, in regional languages there were 41 you know unique uh, authors who got nominated and then uh, we have a very thorough process of independent jury who looks at the uh, nominations then there is a long list which gets created which meets these criteria of a significant contribution uh, somebody who has kind of engaged with writing uh, it's not just one or two great books but a body of work those who have contributed being that being one of the criteria for the language and then what are the ways in which these authors have kind of pushed 
the boundaries of writing in what ways have they innovated uh, so those are some of the things that the jury really look at so even the jury is a very hand picked kind of a set of people who are not associated with any particular publishing house but they are uh, those who understand children and literature uh, from different uh, vantage points so some who are academicians practitioners those who actually uh, some of them who uh, create content for children etc so in that process about seven uh, people's long seven authors long list got created in this year for malayalam and out of that four were shortlisted so dr shri kumar uh, palyar shridharan professor shivdas who finally won uh, the award and then sippi uh pallipuram so those were the four um, shortlisted authors and they among between them really do uh, cover a very large body of diverse writing kind of styles for children many of them have several uh, even more than 100 kind of books written for children so non fiction fiction poetry wow. uh, those are different genre that these authors have engaged with so but certainly as we do have a certain literate kind of first uh, state with 100% literacy is how we look at kerala and we do know that it's one of the few states which has active you know uh, gram panchayat level libraries so it being a literate kind of a state where even in their literacy uh campaign as well as the science uh, education kind of campaigns authors have played a very key role so we did also see in malayalam including the winner a lot of non fiction uh, also writing which has happened science popularization kind of writing which has also happened so that was one of the aspects which probably was a bit more unique when it came to malayalam Wow, that's actually very fascinating. I never kind of linked the whole thing where you know Malayalam being the language from Kerala, and then again looking at the literacy rate, right? Because you yeah. see a variety in there. Now, yes. of course, like you mentioned at the start, right, uh, that India has a very lit literature, and uh, I'm going to put my hand up first. I mean, well, this is an audio podcast, but I am guilty of this. Is when you think about it as parents, right, from that lens, we're I'm one of those parents who's guilty of reaching out to you know your international literature or storytelling we all know the grim brothers and things like that these are the kind of stories that our children grew up with or we grew up with and now we're just passing on blindly to our kids whereas in india you have whether you take each state each language there'll be very different characters stories that uh, in there and this is also getting compounded by the fact that now children are using tablets and screens mobile phone screens more than you know books uh, when you compare them to previous generations is that something that you've noticed i mean you know you've been a teacher is that something also that you've noticed change and what do you say about parents who want to make their uh, children more aware of indian characters right or indian stories Absolutely. So, couple of points. May I think I also uh, have introduced children, my children, to a variety of international literature. So, I think good literature is good literature, and uh, in a way, literature also I think plays these two roles in a way of both, uh, you know, windows and mirrors, kind of. So, they open up an unknown to us as well as they help us understand ourselves better. So, we need all kinds of books. uh so good international literature introducing that to children is also excellent but yes we do need a lot more effort often to make 
Indian quality children's literature, uh, awareness around it, accessibility, dissemination channels, all of that needs to be a lot more active. And when you say um, the awareness part at the parents' level, uh, definitely uh, plays a key role because uh, in case of children, um, often they find books which are you know mediated through uh, the access that parents, teachers. Uh, and institutions like the schools and the libraries are able to provide to them. Uh, so that's why I think it's equally important uh, for that awareness to be there with these adults who navigate or in a way mediate uh, the access to quality literature for children. So one of the things in that process that we have attempted to do um, since last uh, two years, this is the third year that we will be releasing this Parag Honours List. So we basically do a year-long process where we reach out to publishers. In this case, we are currently able to do it only in two languages, English and Hindi, uh, that we invite uh, publishers to submit their um, books that they consider are good. And they need to be originally written um, manuscripts, so not translations, etc., are not considered in this category. Uh, where then we get the jury to look at each book, uh, and we help them curate a, a list of outstanding books that have been published in a given year. Because again, we felt that this awareness, because when sometimes. You know, having too much uh, also um, confuses everybody that, you know, there's so many things on the shelf and which one do I select and how do I know what is good for, for children. So uh, while we strongly believe that children need to be given choice to finally select what they want to read, they should not be handed down. Um, somebody else should not be making that choice to them. But in order to build greater awareness in uh, adults, um, we have this Paragonas list, which uh, about 30 to uh, 30 odd books in English, about 15 odd books in um, Hindi, uh, last two average of the last two years uh, is what has been put out. And that during World Book Fair and other ways in which we put that list out, that can become one of the reconners. But that's, of course, is not the only way. I think uh, curated festivals of children's literature, which have started uh, if there are increasing number of both uh, print and uh, other mediums, like even including your podcast, which curate good quality children's literature, puts out reviews, make recommendations, including awards, both for authors as well as for specific books. Those can be some excellent ways in which, in a way, you are able to make those recommendations and say, you know, I have read something which has excited me and you putting it out there. So we do need a whole host of ways in which that awareness of quality literature can be built up because fortunately now, as compared to 20 years back, when there was really a paucity of uh, Indian original children's literature being written, now we do have some very excellent publishers who are producing good uh, quality writing for children in multiple genres. But the dissemination channels and awareness around it is a real gap and we do need to all need to pitch in, I think, in that process. First of all, thank you so much for that idea. Nadir and I did do uh, something around World Book Day last year, but okay. we put out our own personal list, not yeah, so much the also kids. that's excellent. But uh, we're going to take up uh, the challenge, like you said, and thanks for reminding us because I think, you know, platforms like ours is really important, right? And normally people Absolutely. only think of like, 
you know the big newspapers or big media houses but at the end of the day grassroots initiatives like us so th- thanks so much for that also you know since both of us were talking about the whole media aspect of things i recently picked up uh, a book called the greatest odia stories ever told by uh, leelavati mohapatra but contrary to what i'm just saying i actually read it in the newspaper and that's how i was like wow this is such an interesting interesting book because i must pick it up uh, and and uh, it's it's just very fascinating that uh, she did so much research behind behind that and she really was so passionate about odisha and really wanted to bring out the you know that that effort that folklore um, that could one day just be lost and we keep hearing this right amrita that um india is a land of 6000 languages and you know every day we are we are losing so many uh, languages because there just no no people left and i think that's the effort uh, that is required from uh, a very primary stage in terms of education which actually brings me to my uh, next question for you so currently you you lead the uh, uh, lead education at tata trust and prior to that you you taught at uh, a primary school uh, college and even as a as an educator in general so we figured that okay you know i think you'd be the best person to help us out in terms of understanding today education has transformed dramatically right um, and the pandemic has kind of pushed it even further in terms of innovation now uh, considering your experience your vast experience in this field what are the key changes or key things rather you have noticed in the education sector and if you could just help us understand in terms of the kind of milestones that you've noticed so if we look at uh, especially last 30 odd years uh, so from 1990s onwards to the district uh, elementary education bpp program district primary education program which was launched um we have seen a lot of impetus in a way to universalization of access to elementary education so while uh, post independence certainly all uh, children were supposed to go to school we still had a very long long journey in a way to get there in terms of school infrastructure all rural children getting enrolled to school so i would say that the last the decade of 90s and in 2000 also a lot of impetus really was to get children enrolled in schools to some extent unfortunately simultaneous amount of focus on quality of teaching learning uh, wasn't really there or even provisioning in terms of material so while building may be there but even the functional blackboard and then library and other material and all of that is still being provisioned so uh, in on the access front we have made some remarkable amount of progress but there are several other fronts especially when we look at rural india which does constitute a very large percentage of our population we still have a very very uh, you know long way to go uh, one of the very important milestones definitely from an education history point of view would be the right to education bill but it took us or it was passed in uh, some 10 13 years ago so it took us a very long time in a way to make education Uh, a right for every child so we uh, while we do see a lot of changes in a way in the classroom processes or say technology applications in education or certain number of schools which are emphasizing uh, co curricular areas alongside academic areas but we must remember that that often gets limited to a very small segment of 
schools in relatively urban areas so if you look at the vast majority i would say that uh, there is predominant kind of way in which education that all of you experienced and all, i experienced a lot of it seems to continue that we have a very exam oriented uh, education system uh, we have a lot of therefore what we do and we don't do and what we value in schools gets determined by what gets tested and if in the testing process a lot of the questions are basically based on uh, you know remembering answers so rote learning uh, then that's what also the teaching turns into so in a way at one level while we see a lot of changes we also need to remember that a lot has not changed so a lot remains the same and we really need to now prioritize the uh, whole uh, educational experience for each child so the classroom experience if it is inviting for the child if the education and the kind of teaching learning is really building on the innate curiosity that each child and as a parent we experience children have so many questions but often the education system um, you know doesn't really give space for child to sort of ask questions explore at his or her own pace you know, differing interests that children have to be able to uh, you know offer them different pathways uh, even if the curriculum is set and one of the things which we desperately i feel also need is the along with these academic areas of focus uh, almost both i feel in private and in government schools the whole the co curricular areas of work whether it is sports uh, whether it is arts whether it is libraries whether it is laboratories they often tend to be on a periphery so i really feel that having made a very significant amount of progress in getting almost all children enrolled in schools we really now need to make sure that the educational experience of every child is a meaningful one and the child is able to really uh, grow to his or her potential um, and that's really uh, what we need to focus on oh that's so beautifully put i mean you know it's it's very strange uh, us as parents come to this understanding right and i'm going to add a little context here uh, i played a lot of sports uh, when i was in school and uh, there was that always in india we have that typical indian mentality right you either focus on co curricular or you focus on your academics both cannot go hand in hand and if you ask me now so many years later and as a parent i don't remember that much of what i learned in school it's a different story how much i learned am i actually using at work or in my day to day life but the lessons that i learned on the sports field are something that i still hold dear to me because those are memories that i will always cherish and unfortunately in india parents don't seem to get it right like my parents i was lucky in a way that they let me do what i want uh is that something you're noticing among other parents also or just nader and me are oh, no. anomalies when they like, let the kids do what actually. they want right because this is a clear distinction between uh academics and performance like you said performing exactly the way testing is rote learning and all of that and interest of the child yeah no i think that's a very large societal in a way challenge that we have and to a large extent i feel that uh, the very formalized exam oriented system pushes uh, everyone in a certain direction we certainly have lot more now examples of uh, parents and even schools taking 
um, kind of initiative to introduce uh, children to different career pathways. But again, that's uh, a relatively more of an urban kind of phenomena, particularly in rural areas, structured career counseling, introducing children to different, uh, you know, pathways for their professional growth and each child being able to identify what they what they are good at and what interests them and then helping them chart out a, a career path basis that rather than you know going with that you know good academically good students can only do two three doctor engineer or now uh, management that one has to really break out of that so we do have some interesting i think uh, role models and examples that are out there, but we need again a lot more uh, in that space so that children are able to actually do what they are passionate about and then excel in that rather than chasing just a single pathway. Yeah, because you know the problem with the abundance of engineers is now all of them are in the advertising and marketing industry <laughs> yes. or in investment banking and finance, right? I don't know how many engineers actually are doing engineering. Yes. We were talking about, uh, Amrita, in fact, you were talking about the fact that, you know, how the importance of the awareness in classroom, right? That what, what are we teaching to the children and what is it that they are taking away uh, in, in the classroom? Today, we are recording this in the month of January 2022. And there's a lot of talk about hybrid school system, like just, just like how we are. Uh, I mean, hybrid working is... It's eventual, right? It's going to happen. But this whole hybrid school uh, system, which is mix of both online and offline, um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you do you see it uh, materializing, making sense? Do you think the kids? Because I'll tell you where I'm coming from. Both Peter's son and my daughter will never. I mean, uh, maybe Peter's son will, but my daughter, I don't think she's ever going to experience what primary education looks like in a building, in a school building, right? She'll never see a primary school uh, section because next year she's, she'll go in the first standard, and that's a, that's a separate section altogether, uh, infrastructurally speaking. Uh, what what are your thoughts on this whole hybrid system? Do you think it's it's here to stay, or uh, I mean, considering there's this ed tech boom happening, so I just wanted to understand uh, what you think about this. Uh, so I do believe that because of pandemic and the kind of, in a way, unplanned uh, shift to um, online education that some segments of the society experience, to some extent, some aspects of it are here to stay. Uh, I also feel that there are certain positives uh, with um, technology usage for education, but when we are able to use it as a tool and not a cross board, but overall, if you ask me whether we should look at hybrid way of teaching learning, I would actually say no, because of the following reasons. If we are all bound by right to education as a uh, act under which we are all obligated, the state is obligated to provide quality education to every child. And if we look at a lot of research that has come out in the last six months in, uh, in particular, now there is like ample data to say that in the rural areas, less than 10% or somewhere between 10 to odd percent children actually experienced online teaching in a regular way. So, which means that the 90% were deprived of their right. So, when we are talking about hybrid, even that as a possibility, I think that as a possibility itself exists only for a um, select few. Because in urban areas, we have required infrastructure, we have parental capacity to pay, we have devices, we have every child has a device, 
but that reality uh, is not really a generalizable reality and uh, whatever system wide solution that we adopt has to be applicable to every child so if some of the schools teachers do choose to engage hybrid education and all their children are able to access it certainly there are some positives that we can also take with it but as a system level solution i think we have to make sure that physical schools uh, can be made uh, functional as soon as possible we reduce the disruption as much as possible because that's really the only way to reach out to uh, all children so i do believe there are several uh, ways in which meaningfully technology can be augmented both for teachers and their professional development as well as for students but we have many many steps to uh, you know uh, cross before that becomes possible for all children right now there are way too many uh, kind of hindrances and while often we know that mobile phone penetration is so high often we of, we need to remember that that mobile is with the earning member male member of the family and that mobile is not with the child uh, to study and there are multiple children at home and there are those kinds of devices connectivity affordability none of it really exists so from a system wide solution we need to look at it differently so then uh, amrita i'm i'm assuming uh, and uh, allow me to make this assumption that uh, in 2020 when the, uh, the the new education policy came out right um, it seems very tech forward and uh, would you say that this is one of the reasons why the nep would have you know pushed this whole aspect of you know tech and not really getting into rote learning and understanding the child's unique aspects and not pushing them into these these watertight compartments because what you are saying and what the nep states in its in its charter is is very similar so as i said please allow me to make this assumption would you then uh, consider that yes it's it's in the right step forward so nep has several positives and i think uh, the fact that it helps us focus in a, a significant way on foundational learning because again we know that for a large majority of children uh, though they are in school they are not really learning so unless the foundations are in place it's very difficult to build on uh, that forward but nep at one end is talking about foundational learning it is also simultaneously talking about 21st century skills moving away from rote uh, then when we go further higher up it talks about interdisciplinary uh, kind of teaching learning spaces so there are several of these welcome directional uh, kind of um, vision that nep carries and we need to build on that uh however uh, nep in a way while it got released in 2020 it doesn't very upfront acknowledge the pandemic and the school closure and the covid kind of a situation so while at that time perhaps it was felt that is going to be a passing thing and therefore probably a forward looking policy does not really need to talk about it but we are now realizing that something which seemed like a couple of months of closure has now become Uh, almost two years and schools reopened and again now they have closed so we also are realizing because especially data trust work is mostly in rural areas remote areas in aspirational districts in tribal areas we are realizing that the whole recovery uh, from pandemic is going to be a very uh, serious and a long process it's not something that is going to get over as soon as schools reopen because they may again shut down uh, so um, i feel that in uh, nep uh, these kinds of disruptions which right now have happened on account of covid tomorrow some of it may happen on account of uh, you know climate change 
we need to really make it part of our ways in which we create multiple learning spaces not just in schools but also in the community so children's learning is not disrupted even if schools have to close and even if online uh, you know access is not available then multiple access points of education and learning and providing that continuity that's something that we really need to uh, factor in because that's a big learning for us as well i'm very glad that you mentioned the kind of work that you're doing and at this point i want you to give not just nadir and me but also our listeners who are listening to this episode a kind of reality check right and i'll put a context to it where you know today if nadir or me uh, we're told that you know our kids cannot go to school it's just a matter of us taking a la- our laptop or our spare laptop opening it up putting our kids sitting in front of uh, the laptop starting the class everything's yeah. fine you know we've got broadband internet connection we've got yes. multiple phones in the house and if say next week we're told okay the kids need to go to school we'll either drop them off in an uber or a bus or a taxi whatever yes. and it's very seamless right because yeah. there's no disruption as you think as you're saying but contrast that to what you're seeing on ground in non metro cities right i mean places where you're working like what have the last couple of years been like what is the disruption been like for students there yeah so i think disruption is very very severe and often uh, because that's not the context that often more urban um, audiences look at we often tend to underestimate that because like you very rightly said uh, our children very seamlessly transition to online learning and we therefore felt that all right may that's probably what is happening to majority of the children but whether even if we look at the first report which came out was asar uh, 2020 report which came uh, in 2020 itself and it highlighted some of these realities that you know majority of the children uh, online learning as the way we see in urban areas is really very very marginally available in rural areas what is primarily available in rural areas is certain percentage maybe about one third of the children are getting some resources on whatsapp so it could be a recorded video it could be a worksheet it could be something else but especially um, as parents we know that just provisioning of material doesn't result into learning you need engagement and learning is effectively a social kind of process so just pushing some worksheet or sending one video whether or not you understand it that's not really something which results into learning and especially with young children you we know that they are so active and they need uh, that kind of physical activity they need concrete material which with which they manipulate uh, and um, engage with in order for their conceptual you know understanding also to grow so particularly i would say that younger children their education in particular has been very very severely impacted i have seen in the rural areas older children in secondary schools they somehow are able to pull in they have some ability to move around and also within the house uh, they they are the ones who are likely to get the device for whatever hours possible so with um, older children i feel somewhat the picture is a bit mixed but with younger children the disruption on account of uh, school closure has been very very severe and apart from the academic part that children have missed out it is also midday meal and other provisions which are very critical we know that given the nutritional status uh, and the very uh, sort of alarming levels of malnutrition uh, 
that we have the midday meal itself plays a very very important role so while dry rations were given to families and i'm sure that did help but uh, the one cooked meal that the child was getting that also uh, being disrupted uh, so all these aspects i think have had a very very serious impact and particularly uh, girls children coming from vulnerable disadvantaged communities it is being feared that a percentage of children out of school uh which currently in nep itself is estimated to be about 3 crore out of 25 crore uh, you know children who are enrolled in schools about 3 crores are out of school it is really being feared that that number is likely to go up uh, very significantly because economic hardship of parents also has meant that slightly older children are then supporting in some household and uh, agriculture and other livelihood supporting or looking after siblings and those kinds of roles so we really have to take cognizance of this and plan for an extensive recovery kind of period but despite all this gloom now i also will share that uh, a, a large number of locations where we worked we saw local communities coming forward uh, a large number of volunteers that we were able to mobilize uh some of them with very modest honorarium or in some cases without any honorarium they uh, were willing to take these hamlet level small classes for children there were different forms in which uh you know libraries so some some of the children themselves set up uh, collection in their homes some of the school management committee members came forward and said that if you can help us with some collection we will run a library out of our home for our community we also tried in some locations there were jhola libraries so volunteers going with a bag full of books every day to a particular point and children used to really look forward and they still do in because in many places schools have still not reopened or they reopened and then have shut down so that continuity with learning i think we have also seen a lot of uh, kind of community support and community coming forward to say that let us do everything that is possible in order to ensure that the continuity with learning uh, you know becomes possible uh, if not digital way is not feasible in this case then these different face to face model uh, sort of ways in which reaching children has also emerged and that has been very heartening for us despite the challenges thank you so much uh, uh, amrita for for giving that that overall perspective because we keep hearing from so many different mediums and so many different people have uh have a different take from a from a very marketing standpoint but uh you and your team you'll you'll have been uh in the thick of things and you'll have seen everything uh, first hand so it's it's so refreshing to to get this kind of a new uh perspective um but before we let you go we we definitely uh, have one final question um we spoke about the the big little book awards uh, in the beginning uh, we just wanted to understand what are the other initiatives in the field of education uh, at tata trust that you could tell us about you know anything that we can keep an eye uh, out for this year and you know maybe educate our listeners a little more about these initiatives absolutely so we will uh, very soon be launching our para para honor list we were planning to launch it during the world book fair because that has now gotten postponed we will be launching it sometime next month uh so you can watch out for that we have very recently in bombay uh, along with tata institute of social science we have inaugurated center of excellence for teacher education because we believe teachers do play uh, a very very central role in uh, education uh, system and child's development and various different ways through pre service programs 
through in-service programs. So several of them are blended or some of them are also online. Um, these uh, professional development opportunities for teachers are being created. So uh, the CET, as we call it, Center of Excellence of Teacher Education, uh, keeps also uh, conducting research and releasing it, offering different courses for teachers. Some of them are open for all other interested people also to take. So that is something that you can watch out for. We also recently uh, entered into a partnership with Ministry of Tribal Affairs and CBSE, and we have designed a, a course on experiential learning because that's another concept that national education policy talks about that you know we need experiential learning but what exactly is experiential learning how do we unpack the concept how do we uh, get the teachers to design their curriculum in an experiential way uh, so this is an initiative uh, there, the pilot batch uh, with uh, 300 odd teachers from the Ministry of uh, Tribal Affairs has already started and we will continue to offer that course on different platforms uh, in you know days to go. And we have also uh, just commenced a study to further understand in, in a nuanced way impact of COVID and school closures on rural education. So that's a study that we will be also findings of that we will release sometime middle of the year. So yeah, lots of things uh, for uh, interested people to watch out for. Wow, that's like a plateful is putting it mildly also. <laughs> but uh, that's a lot uh, that y'all are doing at uh, the Tata Trust. And uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much, uh, Amrita, for shedding light on such an important thing. And just circling back to what uh, I said earlier, right? I mean, education is something that's close to both Nadir and my heart. So thank you so much for telling us more about this very important aspect. Thank you so much and look forward to staying connected. Wow, Nadir, that was a really insightful discussion that we had with Amrita. And, you know, we keep saying that, you know, we're really privileged living in the metros. We've really got an insight into how education is in the other parts of India, right? Yeah, absolutely. As I said right in the beginning of the episode that education is ever evolving and it's so organic and there's so many things that are happening and Amrita really put a lot of those things in perspective, right, from a technical standpoint, from a language standpoint, and India being as diverse as it is, there's so much focus uh, and there's so much more that we can uh, explore in the education aspect of things. And like we mentioned in the episode, the Prague Initiative of the Tata Trust recently held the sixth edition of the Big Little Book Awards. So in our next episode, we're actually going to speak to one of the winners of the award. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to that. As always, if you guys have any great story for us, if you know somebody who would love to talk to us on Pops in a Pod, then write to us at popsinapod at gmail.com or you can also search us on Instagram and Facebook, leave a comment, share, like or just introduce us to some interesting people on social media and who knows, we'll just get in touch with them and invite them over on Pops in a Pod. Alright, that's all from us. Stay tuned next week for more. See you guys. See ya.